Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Playoff Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with J.J. Cooper, breaking down Game 1 of the World Series. The Braves jumped out early, tagged Framber Valdez for five runs in two-plus innings, eased to a 6-2 victory, their first victory at a World Series game since Game 2 of the 1996 World Series, J.J., which you were at. It's been a while, but they're up 1-0 in the series. Again, this was pretty straightforward. Braves jumped out early coasted a victory, but there were some developments that hold some interest for what happens the rest of the series. JJ, what stood out to you the most about this game one? They're not all going to be games that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. And that's okay. Like, uh, you know, that was one, it it, it felt like we were watching the prologue, you know, the the long prologue in a movie. We know that more things are going to happen, but from the first, batter Jorge Soler hits a home run and there were times that the Astros put together threats and, and things like that but the reality of it is is it was a game that pretty much felt like that the Braves had it in hand from pretty early on you know they jumped out to that early lead and there was some playing out the slog I that the, the Astros it was a game Odorizzi pitched fine but it was a game where they could use Odorizzi to eat some innings. That's not something that you're going to generally see in a game the Astros are up by one in the middle inning. The, the craziest things are in it probably is the thing I will remember from that game more than any probably is that Charlie Morton showed that you can throw 95-plus while pitching on a fractured leg. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so again, you never know what you're going to see in a baseball game. I will say Jorge Soler becoming the first player to ever lead off a World Series with a home run is pretty cool. Framber Valdez just did not have his location last night. A lot of pitches up over the big part of the plate, and the Braves are ready for it. Uh, They tagged him. I saw Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle pointed out that of the 12 balls put in play, the Braves hit eight of them. 95 miles an hour plus. So the offense was ready for it. Duvall homered. Anytime you can go on the road and put up runs in the first three innings, that's exactly how you want to start. Be up 5 nothing early like they were. But going to Charlie Morton, again, I'm not going to put this on the level of Jack Youngblood playing through the Super Bowl on a fractured left fibula. That was a cornerstone moment for me. That was the one that I will always go to because that was against my Steelers. The other one that comes to mind, just being a hockey fan, Bob Bond, Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman, the 1964 Stanley Cup, took a shot from Gordie Howe off his ankle, fractured his ankle, was taken off the ice on a stretcher, went back, refused x-rays, got his ankle taped and frozen. I don't even know how you freeze an ankle. Came back on the ice and scored the winning goal in overtime, and then played game seven. So, I mean, those are the ones that are just absolute insanity. Obviously, I'm not going to put this on the level of that. Nonetheless, just a really impressive performance. It's not quite clear when the fracture actually occurred, whether it was when he got hit or when he went back out there to start the next inning. But either way, you're playing on an ankle that is severely compromised, and his final three pitches were 96, 96, Sick 80-mile-an-hour curveball for a swing and a miss. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't have any words. That's just, you just shake your head and go, holy crap. It was, it was impressive. Um, the unfortunate thing, that, that's also the thing that we will take from this game, is we kind of knew coming in that the Braves had, 
we felt like a little bit of a starting pitching advantage. And a key part of that was, though, is that that really with Charlie Morton going game one, you had the option that Morton was either going to pitch twice in this series or in a dire situation, maybe pitch three times. There's always that possibility that you could try to, to bring him back on short uh, rest. Now we have a situation where I feel like that the the starting pitching, which the bullpens are going to be more important in this series than the starting pitching. Let's just make that clear. Both of these teams will have, at the end of the day, as many innings thrown by the relievers in this series as the starters. If you go off the rest of the playoffs, the Astros right now are running about a, about a, it's like for every inning that their starters throw, they're getting one and a half from the relievers. So I don't, the bullpens are more important than the starters because they're going to throw as many, if not more innings. But that said, you look at it now and you say, okay, that Braves starting advantage has now been diminished. But the key thing that's going to be now is, is what do the Astros get out of Jose Urquidy? Who that's going to be kind of a, a key fulcrum point of the series now because the biggest advantage the Braves have going forward is now what we're looking for in game two. Yeah, I mentioned Jose Arquiti to me is kind of an X factor in this series for the Astros, just given he'd been good this year, really did not pitch a whole lot in the postseason. They mentioned on the broadcast last night, sometimes rust is worse than not being fully rested. And he was definitely rusty, seeing if he shook that off and he can get back to being his normal self in game two. The Astros need that desperately, especially after having to use so many relievers last night and, and use them for multi-inning stints. I will say, give uh, Yimi Garcia, Jake Odorizzi especially. I mean, he was great last night. Phil Maton, Brooks Raley threw an inning in two-thirds. I mean, this bullpen did a really good job yesterday and give them credit, but there's no question you want to give them a little bit of a break today and have Jose Arquiti at least give you five or six and hopefully five or six sharp ones. You also don't want it to be a situation where you just have to leave them out there to wear it a little bit. I do think for the Braves, what this means is you're going to have Anderson, you're going to have Freed, or I should say Freed and Anderson, because that's the order they're going to throw them. Realistically now, this means because you can't have two bullpen games. You can't throw bullpen games back-to-back games four and five. You're going to destroy your bullpen. So if you're the Braves, you either A, have to hope and pray for a sweep, which I don't think is going to happen, or B, they're going to have to throw Drew Smiley as a more traditional starter now in game four, game five, depending on how they want to line it up. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he gives them four I mean you pray he can give you five Um, he was not great as a starter this year he wasn't god awful but you know as a starter his ERA was four seven five they moved him into the bullpen the final month he was pretty good in that long relief stint as the Dodgers so that's where you have a little bit of optimism but the short version is this now means Drew Smiley has to take the ball give them some semblance of a start it can't be a inning in two thirds or even two and a third he's got to give them you hope for five realistically you need four. And I'm going to go in a little different way with that. I actually think that what the, what we're going to have to see now is how do the Braves replace, who do they replace? I guess I should say more accurately, who do they replace Charlie Morton on the roster with? Clearly they're going to replace Charlie Morton on the roster. He's not going to pitch again for them in this, uh, in this postseason. And there is a part of me that kind of says and kind of looks at this and says, you're going to tandem start that game to me in some ways. It's if you have Tuki Toussaint or you have 
it sounds crazy to say, but there's rumblings. Maybe it's Kyle Wright, which, you know, that he has made postseason appearances for them. At the same time, he barely pitched for them in 2021, spent most of the year at Gwinnett. But you're going to have someone else, even if you said a Spencer Strider gets added, you're going to have someone else who ideally, everyone I just listed, you're talking about these right-handers to pair with Smiley that I, I could very well see the Braves approaching that and saying, okay, we need nine outs from you, Drew, and we ideally need six to nine outs from this second person as well. That would get you through the sixth in game four, which then means, okay, you have figured out a way, if they pitch effectively, to get you without wearing out your bullpen in game four, which puts you in a better situation for game five. And then in game five, you, you kind of have a little bit more options there. But, I mean, with Smiley, I, I will note, it's not that it's impossible for him to do so, but Smiley has not worked in, with length in any significant period of time, basically since the end of August. August, he was in the rotation, and even then he was a four to five inning pitcher at that point. They did not generally want him to go more than about 20, 22 batters. I, I mean, he basically has faced more than 23 batters, I think, once all year. But that was at the end of August. By September, they kind of transitioned him into a much smaller role. So I think aiming for 9 to 12 batters at kind of the upper end, you, 12 outs ideally, would be kind of a, a, a useful way for the Braves to think about it if they add – someone else on this roster who can also be a multiple, a two to three inning guy and say, we're going to piece those piece it together that way. Yeah. The primary options you're looking at are Tuki Toussaint, Kyle Muller and Tucker Davidson. It depends how the Braves want to do this. If they want to go that tandem start route and have smiley and then bring them a righty, whether that's Kyle Wright, who's already on the roster or use Tuki Toussaint in that role. Kyle Muller showed some good things, but all these guys, Muller, Toussaint, Davidson, they did pitch in the majors this year and made starts in the majors this year. It wasn't significant workloads. Kyle Wright actually had the least experience of the four of them. I was actually surprised to see he was the guy they added to the roster over some of these other guys. So we'll see what they want to do. These are good pitchers with good arms who have started in the majors this year. As I mentioned, with Smiley, he's been a reliever since August 30th when he kind of got shelled against the Dodgers, but you can't use him in a one-inning stint now which is what they have been doing. It's got to be, like you said, I yeah, you have to get some more you, pr you pray for five, you hope for four, which is 12 outs. And, you know, if he gives you three, can you make it work? Sure. It's just not ideal. So that's how this changes things. But either way, I do think for the Braves, look, you're up one Oh, you're in a favorable position. And again, if they jump out to a three Oh lead and they say, you know, maybe we think a bullpen game is the best way to potentially clinch this. And they can do that in game four. I mean, that's probably best case scenario. It's going to depend on how the series plays out. What happens tonight? What happens Friday? We'll see what decision may make, but I will say, I don't feel like this completely torpedoes the Braves chances just because they do have this group of young starters who did start in the majors this year and all had varying degrees of success. These guys didn't post ERAs of eight, get blown up and go back to the minors. So the grand scheme of things, you feel better than you otherwise could have for some teams who just don't have any other options, really. I do want to move over to Eddie Rosario real quick, JJ. I mentioned during the NLCS, I tweeted out 
I was going to say Eddie Rosario is on another planet right now. And that just didn't seem to cut it, how ridiculous this guy is playing. So I tweeted out, he's playing on another plane of existence because this just seems so unreal. And he keeps doing it over and over and over. What's standing out to me is he's playing a complete game. Two for five, another multi-hit game last night. He also threw out a runner at second, played a ball well off the wall, cut off a ball and left to hold what could have been a double to a single. I mean, just all aspects of the game right now. He's made some base running mistakes. He had one in the NLCS, but... I feel like we have to give him credit because the dude's just ridiculous right now. The, the throw, I, again, you said it was a complete game last night. It was something where you know, you rarely say, when we talk about Eddie Rosario, his defense is not normally one of the things you're going to mention. Well, but so his arm has always been good. I still remember. His arm has always been good. But he made a throw yeah. in the World Baseball Classic in 2017 that I still remember. It sticks out in my mind. So he's always had the arm. But But that was a very nice throw. And also, at the same time, Okay, we you could laugh about the slide if you want to. The dirt uh, got very sticky for Eli Guriel, but more than that, it was a situation. You, you just needed to the, the the advantage of doing that was not significant enough because this is something where you want to see people be aggressive, but aggressiveness sometimes has to be cautioned. Also, there were four outs left for the Astros, and they were down by four. The out is much more damaging, much more damaging than the base getting the extra base. The flip side of that is, is then I'll give a, you know, now I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but the Braves were in a different situation. The send on the sack fly, Ron Washington is, is pretty much the, the riverboat Ron, uh, you know, of, uh, of baseball here where he basically sends them and it paid off again. That was a paid off shallow on a- fly ball. I was like, oh, wow. But great slide by Dansby Swanson. That's that's one thing. The Braves have had some really good slides at home plate this year. But, so credit the base running there, too. But again, it comes back to, in that situation, an extra run for the Braves is really beneficial. And you are requiring your opponent to execute everything well. Yes, it was a shallow fly ball. But as you see in this case, if it had been an online throw where uh, the catcher, I think it was still Maldonado, would have been able to catch it while near home plate and then sweep, Dansby Swanson would have been out. But if the throw's got to have something on it and it's got to be online. That throws up the third base line. All of a sudden, he catches this and Dansby Swanson's passing by as he catches it. You can't swipe with the tag. You just said, okay, let me make you make everything work. And the Astros weren't able to execute Putting pressure on the defense, making them make a play is the best way to go about it. That's winning baseball, and the Braves have continued to do that. Sometimes they've been a little reckless on the bases, as we've seen, but on the whole, it's been really, really good. The other thing I want to highlight for the Braves real quick, I mentioned during our World Series preview that I thought Luke Jackson was going to be an X factor for the Braves just because he'd been so good all year, struggled so much in the NLCS. We saw in game six, had his head in his hands, sitting on the bench, for the Braves to be successful this series, you really, really, really wanted to make sure they had the best version of Luke Jackson just to give them that power right-handed option to go with the law firm of lefties. And for him to come back last night, inning and two-thirds scoreless, three strikeouts, you know, you saw him walk off the mound, fist raised in the air. It was good to see. I actually think of the behind the scenes or under the radar developments that took place for the Braves. That's the biggest one for the series moving forward, especially given you now know you're going to have to be relying on your bullpen even more. That getting Luke Jackson right is a huge, huge help. The other thing that happened in that game, when we talk about game four and game five, 
That was AJ Minter being stretched to kind of his nth degree. But that said, it if we do not see AJ Minter, we will not see AJ Minter in game two. Please, I I beg you, I don't care what happens. If this goes 90 innings, do not bring AJ Minter this game. He needs some time. But if you do not see him in game three. Then you start talking about, okay, when we talk about game five, is there a scenario where he's your opener and you are looking at it and saying, oh, he could give you two innings. Maybe he can go a little bit more than that because credit to him. Like he was gutting it out there, but he, what he allowed them to do by him going out there and not being a one inning guy when he kind of stepped up because Charlie Morton was pitching on a, again, we'll emphasize again, pitching on a broken bone. But when he did that, it really allowed the Braves to get through that game without damaging their chances for game two. Everyone else pretty much is in a situation where having had multiple days off coming into the series, everyone, every other reliever for the Braves, even Matzik, who went, uh, I think, an inning and a third, Everyone else is available today for game two. Him doing that also kind of puts him in the back of my mind. Do they maybe think of him as a guy who not length, but can get you, if you want to hold him back and say, okay, we would really like to use him. If we have to use him in game four, we will. But if not, he becomes a game five option for them, which would essentially then give him enough time to have rested and fully recovered from a heroic performance last night. Yeah, Tyler Matzik has gotten a lot of the love this postseason, and deservedly so, but A.J. Minter has been really, really good. Had two separate outings of two scores against the Dodgers in the NLCS. Goes out last night, really covers them once Charlie Morton goes down two and two-thirds. He was really good last year in the NLCS. I mean, I think he's an option to start the bullpen game. They just are still going to need the other game where Smiley gives them a start. It's probably Drew Smiley. Maybe they could throw Tukey, who did make 10 starts this year. But I think Smiley is the best option there. But yeah, AJ Minter has shown he is capable of doing this and doing it well. But you're right, especially if you're going to do that, rest him here. Maybe give him one inning tops in game three if you are going to try and get two or two plus out of him in game five as an opener. JJ, we've talked a lot about the Braves. We're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to dive into the Astros and kind of where they're at right now and what the outlook is for them moving forward down here 1-0 in the series. First, a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back. All right, JJ. So we've talked a lot about the Braves side of things here. Game one win, 6-2 to two over the Astros. If you're the Astros, how do you kind of assess this game? And do you really make any significant judgments going into game two? Not really. They've, they've been in worse spots than this in this postseason. They, they lost a game. They lost a game against – they coming into that game, there's no way that they went into the game saying, okay, Framber Valdez versus Charlie Morton, oh, this is a slam dunk 100%. We're going to win this game. So, okay, they lost a game. Makes game two more important. That said, they've been in really some – they were in the ALCS – it looked a lot worse than this as Luis Garcia limped off the field and they bounced back from that. When this, when this lineup gets rolling, it really can overwhelm almost anyone. But it is also true. I look at game two and say they are a team that will be feeling not having a DH when we go to the National League. They will have to put out there a less than ideal defensive lineup in the outfield. Jordan Alvarez, you ideally you do not want Jordan Alvarez and Michael Brantley both in the outfield together, but they're going to do that. I'm assuming, I feel comfortable saying that they will do that. But so, okay, getting a win in game two becomes more important. That said, Jordan Alvarez appreciation part 82, uh, again last night, the, the man just puts together uh, at least one great at bat, I feel like, in every game, and just shows, oh man, the, that's easy, easy power. And uh, it is crazy that he now is is become a postseason triples guy, you know, like Vince <laughs> Coleman or something, because that was never part of his game. But okay, works for me. No, I, I don't think that. I, I mean, well, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like the other thing that 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 because they were behind so far in that game, they did use a lot of their relievers too, but they. They approached that game yesterday. They did not. They did not go into that game, into the mid innings of that game, saying it is we are going to throw everything against the wall to see what sticks. They said, okay, this is the situation. Let's use some Jayco to Rizzi. Let's use some of our guys that we use a little less often, because we're going to be back here for game two. Yeah, Ryan Presley and Kendall Graveman did not appear. I was asked on a radio show last night, what's the panic meter for the Astros? And I told their hosts, the answer is zero. It's just pretty straightforward. Framber Valdez didn't pitch well. Again, left a lot of balls up over the plate, got hit. 
it happens. So now you just hope Jose Key goes out and throws better and that'll make a big difference. One thing that I am watching a little bit is Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman have scuffled a bit this postseason on the whole. It has not been particularly productive for either of them. Altuve is now down to hitting a buck 78 here in the postseason. Bregman's hitting 256, but it's a 333 on base, a 349 slug. Neither of these guys has been at their best so far. And obviously you want the top two right-handed hitters in your order to be a little more productive than that. So seeing if they can find their stride a little bit will definitely help the Astros. I think the Jayco to Rizzi appearance actually was one of the more important and promising developments. Having that long guy, especially given how inconsistent some of these Astros starters have been this postseason and how they have had these duds, it makes a big difference. You already knew you had Christian Javier, but they seem to like piggybacking him with Zach Greinke. We even saw that last year's postseason against the Twins in that opening round. So I think just having the second option, Odo Rizzi being as sharp as he was, getting through two and a third, five strikeouts. And on the whole, this bullpen held the Braves to one run over the final seven innings. I think you feel pretty good about that. Just seeing where the bullpen is. Uh, you know, Michael Brantley just was locked in. Jordan Alvarez, you mentioned. Tucker and Gurriel each had a pair of hits. I mean, enough good things happen where there's no reason to panic here. It really is as simple as, okay, Valdez wasn't sharp, and now you just have to hope Urquidy's a little bit sharper. One other thing I want to bring up, and, and I hate to sound like a crotchety old man, and I'll try not to, but my apologies. But I, again, every game is not going to be something that comes down to the last at-bat that the tying or winning run is at the plate. That's fine. That's baseball. I would have thought, though, that that game last night would have been more enjoyable if it had been able to be played the same game, same amount of pitches, same amount of batters. Ideally, though, if we could have got that done in about three hours and 30 minutes, which I allow that postseason games should play take a little longer than a, than a normal regular season game, it would have been the same product and it would have been more enjoyable because there was a simple reality that I'm a diehard. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a diehard. But if I'm a fan of baseball, but not someone who's utterly invested in the Braves or the Astros, I want those people watching the game too. It's the World Series. And I've got to imagine that there were a lot of people who did the calculus at about 10.30 or 11 o'clock on the East Coast, and they looked at it and said, oh, we're in the mid-innings here. I'm not staying up for the end of this. And I, I look at what MLB is trying to do as far as pitch clocks and things like that and say, last night is an example of why those initiatives are taking place. Not because you want to, quote, shorten the game, but because you want to improve the pace of it. And that game, there was nothing about that game that if you just said that the time between pitches was shortened, you could have taken a four and a half hour game and turned it into a three hour and 30 or three hour and 45 minute game. And there is a difference. There is a difference between that game finishing at 1130 on the East coast, 830 on the West coast and finishing at 1230 on the East coast, 930 on the West coast. One thing that jumps to mind and credit Mike Digiovan at the LA times for pointing this out in regards to a game in the NLCS, but I think it's relevant here as well. So this game last night took four hours and six minutes. The 1986 classic between the Mets and Astros in game six of the NLCS that went 16 innings 
took four hours and 42 minutes. That 16 inning classic took 36 minutes longer than this nine inning World Series game last night. That's where you understand the trend line not going in the direction baseball wants for its marquee signature events. And I think that's justifiable. And and again, we're not talking about extra inning speed up rules. We're not talking about things like that. We are talking about if you can cut the amount of time between pitches. Players, I don't fault them. Players are selfish. I don't mean that in a bad way. They have been taught by sports psychologists and all, stop, slow down the moment, visualize what you need to do, get your mind ready, now you're ready to pitch, or now you're ready to hit. That's been allowed. But at the same time, you can put parameters on that and say, no, no, no. I get it that that's what you want to do. We're going to put rules in that say, nope, when you get the ball back, you're not going to wander around the mound for 15 seconds to think of what you want to do. And the batter is not going to step out and wander around for a while. You can do those things. And that was the game can be played that way. We know that because that's the game, the way the game was played. Why? It's not just added commercial breaks. That's why that 86 game took a lot less time per inning than this game does now. It's not just that there are more pitches per at bat. It's not those things. Those we're not talking about. We're talking about simply reducing the amount of time between pitches. And that's where right now you see a lot of times that I, I, can, I can run into the kitchen and get a glass of water and know that I'll get back before the next pitch is thrown. That pace thing is what we want to speed up. And just to give more recent examples, you go back and look at the 2010 World Series. That's a good example of three games at the end. Game three of that series went two hours and 51 minutes. That was a straightforward four to two win. Move over to the next game in game four. Again, pretty straightforward game. Three hours and nine minutes. Going over to game five, the clinching game was scoreless through six. Giants scored a couple on the top of the seventh. Rangers got one and then it was over. 232. So we're talking about, again, 2010, not a totally different era here. Three games all finishing between 230 and 310. I think, generally speaking, that's a healthier place for the game of baseball to be. And we'll see. Very clearly, Major League Baseball wants to get back to that place. Rob Manfred addressed pace of play yesterday before Game 1 of the World Series. Uh, Clearly, it's something that is on the forefront of everyone's mind in Major League Baseball offices in New York. I wrote about it a little bit last month. You can check it out on BaseballAmerica.com. But, JJ, I think this is a good point to wrap it up here. It's been... Fun talking about game one with you. Look forward to doing the same tomorrow as we talk about game two. This has been another edition of the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening and enjoy game two, everybody. Mm